Welcome back to Set Free 24-7. I'm Robert, and it's a delight to have you join us once again on this journey through the message. Today's episode is My Soul's Cry, and it is a powerful one as we explore where Jesus confronts hypocrisy, a journey into the freedom that's found in Christ, a poetic cry in times of distress, and a passage of divine authority and life-giving water. In Matthew today, chapter 23, Jesus doesn't hold back. He exposes hypocrisy and laments over Jerusalem. So get ready for a poignant message from the heart of Christ. And in Romans 6, we take a deep dive into the freedom that we find in Christ. It's like a breath of fresh air for your soul. You won't want to miss this liberating passage. And when we rewind back to the Old Testament in Psalms, we're in chapter 55, and this is a heartfelt cry in the midst of turmoil. Its poetic beauty and honest emotions will surely resonate with you. And in Numbers, we're going to close out here today. We encounter divine authority, life-giving water, and the journey of the Israelites in the wilderness. Let's uncover these profound stories of transformation and truth together. So fasten those seatbelts as we journey through these passages, discovering personal victories, some struggles, and inspiring stories that will set us free. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. Hi, love. How are you? <laughs> I am really good. <laughs> Did you forget that we were getting ready to go on the radio? or? I don't know what I was looking for for a cue, but I, mean, I, uh, I missed you whatever you threw at me. I'm so give you grace because you were reading the Bible. I mean, she was just lost in space there for a minute. I uh, did the introduction and she uh, was trying to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> I just read something that was profoundly interesting to me. Okay. And it really challenged how I hear so many churches talking i can't wait to get into it, it. When it's we, not uh, even for today it's what i i just glanced at and that's oh, why i was engrossed in it it okay. wasn't even well throw it down today. then we're in the intro so throw it down jesus said watch out for doomsday deceivers many leaders are going to show up with forged identities claiming i am the christ the messiah they will deceive a lot of people when reports come in of wars and rumored wars keep your head and don't panic this is routine history this is no sign of the end hmm. nation will fight nation and ruler will fight ruler over and over famines and earthquakes will occur in various places this is nothing compared to what is coming i have been raised my entire life told that's all signs that signs that the end is near it says right here <laughs> right here <laughs> that it is not yeah. and that the people that say it is are deceivers i think too it's uh you know some people can get really just caught up in that and you know it's got its place it really does but don't allow that to take you out of the game with serving people and and you know being welcoming at your church and everything else like don't allow doomsday to be what you're known for. Right. You want to be known for love. Yes. Fear is such a powerful mm. manipulator. We are only to love and fear our God, and he never uses that. 
to manipulate us. Don't be manipulated through fear. God's yeah. got this. I look forward to the next time we we read together when we get that as the mm. reading and we can talk more about it maybe. Absolutely. So how was your week? It was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Anything big happen? Um, There was a little something on Friday. Hmm. What could that be? I might have attended a graduation. A graduation for who? That might have been me. <laughs> I yes, graduated. I know. I'm officially graduated. Uh, they did so just proud. a lovely gathering for as many students as could this make it. Christian, Christian Leaders. Yeah. Uh, yep. Let's give them a shout out. Uh, Christian, Christian Leaders, Leaders Institute. Institute. Yes. Go now. If like, you run. are looking for a quality free education and i know uh, there's a lot of times people hear free well it's probably going to be garbage this is not garbage this is a quality education by professors that care Mm -hmm. that have invested their time their treasures their talents into making these courses what they are because they believe that everyone is qualified and they they didn't want right. they didn't want that to be the barrier, right? Because of in the scripture when the Holy Spirit was poured out and it intentionally said on everyone, young and old, rich and poor, free or in prison, whoever it is, are all called to go out into the world and and speak of Jesus. Everybody, that's ministry. And there's various levels of ministry, but there's a lot of people who truly feel called to it and finances is what their barrier is. There is no barrier at Christian Leaders Institute. It is completely funded through donation. They serve over 600,000 students around the world. And I can tell you that I graduated from there and I am a fully ordained minister of chaplaincy. And that's like the equivalent of a bachelor's degree here, Michigan, unfortunately. And they're working on it and that's going to change soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, doesn't accept their, uh, their credits yet, but 48 states, they are accredited now. So no matter where you're states. at, I mean, yes. so if you've thought about going back to school mm-hmm. and... It was maybe the finances were the thing that yeah. stopped you from doing that. Don't let it stop you. They have not just Bible classes. They have like life coaching classes. Business they have business classes. classes. Mm-hmm. They have, uh, so there's a, a very well-rounded uh, just group of classes to choose from. Amazing and, uh, opportunities yeah. there. And they continue to add really great and practical for today classes. I encourage you encourage you please 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 check them out and we'll put a link down in the comments or down we'll put it in the description of the podcast so uh there's a link there if you want to check it out if you want to maybe get signed up to donate to them because this is a beautiful cause Mm. that is it changed my life absolutely and i and the stories that i heard at that event that we went to on friday night there was i mean person after person after person just saying 
Christian leaders did this and gave me this opportunity, and I just ran with it. they're doing in their communities yeah, now. Yeah, it's amazing. They have taken and, their education. And these are people that oh. used to be, some of them getting arrested mm-hmm. and uh, doing some really negative things have now completely turned it around yeah. and changed. And yeah. I mean, the, those are the people so we love. Good. It was such a good night, and I loved that it looked like I think heaven is going to look. Oh, it was so good. So it diverse. looked like I was sitting with people from all around the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And that to me was one of the best parts about it. I wish more places look like that yeah. and was as filled with love. It was a wonderful night and my heart is full. Mm. And as I've been explaining to people, I am a joyful person But I didn't realize at the moment when they handed me that diploma, my official college, you earned this diploma. I felt such a complete sense of completeness Mm. that I've never experienced in my life. I feel whole. I feel like my past made absolute sense and were just some really tough courses I had to take. So I could be good at the job that I'm going into. Mm. So it was a really, really great night for me. Good. So I, I was so proud yeah, of you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go into prayer and then Heidi will pick up in Matthew. So Father God, thank you for these opportunities like Christian leaders and talking about you on a podcast. I mean, a year ago, I would have never even guessed this moment here today. So thank you for making the way and uh, inspiring people to do things. Uh, you know, like Christian leaders, they're doers there. Uh, they are getting your word out. They are equipping people. And so thank you for what you do in people that sign up there and and how you just multiply the blessings through that ministry. So, uh, Father God, be with our uh, reading today. Just bless us, bless our listeners. And uh, we ask this all in your holy name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So we are starting out in Matthew. We're going to finish up here in Matthew 23. Yes. We're starting at verse 25. I wish I could hear this in the tone that Jesus took. So Uh, listen to this and think about that. So are you going to try and read it in his No, because then I think it will just come across sounding... Angry? Silly. Well, I... (laughs) Two acted. Okay. I think it might be better okay. for me to say the words I want. If yeah. you're listening, think, think about, about this in how Jesus would have been mm-hmm. saying this. For sure. So starting at verse 25, you're hopeless, you religion, scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You buff the surface of your cups and bowls so they sparkle in the sun while the insides are maggoty with your greed and gluttony. Stupid Pharisees, scour the insides and then the gleaming surface will mean something. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. You're hopeless, you religion, scholars, and Pharisees, frauds. You build granite tombs for your prophets and marble monuments for your saints. And you say that if you had lived in the day of your ancestors, no blood would have been on your hands. 
You protest too much. You're cut from the same cloth as those murderers and daily add to the death count. Snakes, cold-blooded sneaks. Do you think you can worm your way out of this? Never have to pay the piper? It's on account of people like you that I sent. Hmm. Hmm. I love you. <laughs> You'll know in just a second. <laughs> Thank you, God, for those moments. You're exactly where you need to be. Snakes. Cold-blooded sneaks. Do you think you can worm your way out of this and never have to pay the piper? It's on account of people like you that I send prophets and wise guides and scholars generation after generation and sorry, my tears. It's on account of people like you that I send prophets and wise guides and scholars generation after generation. And generation after generation, you treat them like dirt, greeting them with lynch mobs, hounding them with abuse. You can't squirm out of this. Every drop of righteous blood ever spilled on this earth, beginning with the blood of that good man Abel, right down to the blood of Zechariah, Berechiah's son, whom you murdered at his prayers, is on your head. All this, I'm telling you, is coming down on you, on your generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, murderer of prophets, killer of the ones who brought you God's news. How often I've ached to embrace your children. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, you wouldn't let me. And now you're so desolate, nothing but a ghost town. What is there left to say? Only this. I'm out of here soon. The next time you see me, you'll say, Oh, God has blessed him. He's come bringing God's rule. Mm. That was a beautiful passage. But you can hear the tenseness, right? The He is over it. He's over. I imagine oh, him just he, loud yeah. and he was shouting and loud in his body language and the anger at what they've done. And on that reading, God said, you are all done with that. You did what you needed to do. Mm -hmm. You're talking in relation to? The church that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's been a difficult it's been a difficult battle over the past year and and whatever. And that it just been sitting in my mind, how will I know when I can move on, when it's the right time to move on and I can move on. Good. I can. <laughs> good. It is good. I was not prepared for that. But I agree. He was probably very just larger than life. I mean, I imagine Jesus having a presence no matter where he went. Like that just kind of, I don't think he was a in the shadows 
kind of guy that just blended he wasn't in. There was uh, known for being attractive or anything. Sure, like it no, says in the Bible that there was mm-hmm. nothing about him that would make you notice him. But I have a feeling when he spoke, you did. Yeah, I can only imagine. And then being on the receiving end of that, mm. and they still didn't hear it. Oh, oh. Good stuff. So think about this, uh, people that are listening right now. Like, how do you think Jesus's demeanor was? Do you think he was using kind of a let's let's just have a chat about this, or do you think he had a little bit of an elevated voice? If you think his voice was elevated, drop it down in the comments. We'd love to hear just kind of what your interpretation of what Jesus was up to. Yeah, I mean. I've said things about myself and said, man, I sure was stupid. (laughs) That didn't even touch what the meaning of the stupid Pharisees coming out of the mouth of our Lord Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've never been that stupid, I hope. I hope. And if I have, please forgive me. Oh. And now we're going to be moving over to Romans. I'll be starting out here in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the new life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like a burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer captive to sin's demands. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. So that means you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You are living in the freedom of God. 
And friends, that's an amazing 14 verses. Are you kidding me? Just gets better and better today. Oh, so good. You know, one of the mantras that I had coming out of prison was just, I have to get focused on doing the next right thing. (laughs) And I've said that uh, to a few other Mm -hmm. people and it's, it just breaks down kind of your actions into certain things. And, you know, is, is that really right? Oh, maybe not. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't do that. So, um, but yeah, don't even run errands, mm-hmm. right? It's not saying like, you're not going to necessarily make sin your full-time job. It's just saying, don't even run errands to the store. Like not mm-hmm. even a little part-time. Yeah. No little vacation. No little. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so proud of you in what you've overcome. I'm happy to be here today. (laughs) Friends, I'm 13 years sober this year. I mean, this has been a good year. We've uh, started ministering to more people, I think, with uh, some drug and uh, alcohol addiction issues. And uh, that's close to my heart. People that are coming out of prison that are trying to get it together or just get that sense of community. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's really what is vital, I think, to so many people. If you look at the common thread of success in people that come out of jail or prison it's support without you you can't do it all alone the enemy will try and work in your life to isolate you and like make you ashamed of things and what you have to connect you have to get a group of people you have i mean what you you just have to you have to there's no way around it. You you can't do it on your own. And you you are definitely not going to do it without God. Or sure. It is a hard mm-hmm. road. That doesn't mean it's an impossible no. one. It just means, realistically speaking, it's hard. Yeah. It's harder even when you're by yourself. And I did six years almost sobriety, but, I, but the rest of my life was a mess. Right. And I wasn't connected in church. I wasn't, you know wasn't connected to any groups. I, I didn't have men pouring into me. Or, you know, no. Right. And when you're struggling with the addiction in that, I would imagine it kind of goes against your lifestyle to build those connections. Mm. Yeah. Because it's not, they're not helpful to that lifestyle. Sure. So I'd imagine isolating yourself. Gets it's easier. easier. Yeah. Yeah. Just stop showing up to things. You make excuses about your schedule being a little busy. Sorry, I can't get it off of work anymore. You know, uh, why are you not showing up to this group, that group? Well, you know, my boss needs me here and I got to do right. this. I and, sure wish I And it's always, you know, somebody told me a long time ago and it like, oh, it just daggered me. It was, you make time for what you want. Ugh. I know. That's well, a heavy one. those people that come at you with those <laughs> convicting yeah. things. But you do. You honestly, you make time for what you want in life. And uh, so it's, you know, what are you choosing today? Right. What is your focus? What is taking up? What are your goals? Mm-hmm. What are you waking up and thinking about? Right. Just so, look to your heart. Yeah. Why you're choosing to do what you are with your time. All right, so now we are going to get in the Wayback Machine and we are going to rewind back to Psalm chapter 55. And this is from the title of the podcast, My Soul's Cry. Uh, This is from that. And I read through, I started reading through Psalm 55 and I was, I know Heidi usually reads the Psalms, but we're going to switch it today because after I read through this, I really felt like it was written by a man. Mm 
who was talking about betrayal from oh. one of his friends. Okay. But it's written by a man, right. David. Yes. And the way that he speaks, I thought mm. it would give the a way he's talking. A masculine voice to... Right. To what's to being this. said. But, okay. it's, uh, but it's about betrayal, and uh, and it's just this man's cry okay. to God. And this also shows, in my opinion, it shows how it's okay to go to God and say some tough things. Mm-hmm. You know, not everything right. he says in this psalm is just flowery. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's asking God, like, you need to get them. You yeah. need to, you know. He's modeling Jesus mm-hmm. in what he said was probably very much the same tone in what he was saying as that kind of. This is, yeah, so this is interesting. I was going to bring that up, that 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 tone is, now think of David in that sense, like you've got somebody that has betrayed you, that has, I mean, and so now try to put into some of that emotion into what I'm going to read here, and I'll try to inflect a little bit too. Well, you're very... And and good with my inflections. I thought you chose it because you thought I'd cry too much and take too much time. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) It's been known to happen. Well, you can just sit over there and cry then. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Psalm, all right, here we go. Psalm chapter 55. Open your ears, God, to my prayer. Don't pretend you don't hear me knocking. Come close and whisper your answer. I really need you. I shudder at the mean voice, quail before the evil eye. As they pile on the guilt and stockpile angry slander, my insides are turned out. Specters of death have me down. I shake with fear. I shudder from head to foot. Who will give me wings, I ask, wings like a dove? Get me out of here on dove wings. I want some peace and quiet. I want to walk in the country. I want a cabin in the woods. I am desperate for a change from rage and stormy weather. Come down hard, Lord, slit their tongues. I'm appalled at how they've split the city into rival gangs, prowling the alleys, day and night spoiling for a fight, trash piled in the streets, even shopkeepers gouging and cheating in broad daylight. This isn't the neighborhood bully mocking me. I could take that. This isn't a foreign devil spitting invective. I could tune that out. It's you. We grew up together. You, my best friend. Those long hours of leisure as we walked arm in arm. God, a third party to our conversation. Haul my betrayers off alive to hell. Let them experience the horror. Let them feel every desolate detail of a damned life. I call to God, and God will help me. At dusk, dawn, and noon, I sigh deep sighs. He hears. He rescues. My life is well and whole, secure in the middle of danger. Even while thousands are lined up against me, God hears it all and from his judge's bench puts them in their place. But set in their ways, they won't change. They pay him no mind. And this, my best friend, betrayed his best friends. His life betrayed his word. All my life, I've been charmed by his speech. 
never dreaming he'd turn on me. His words, which were music to my ears, turned to daggers in my heart. Pile your troubles on God's shoulders. He will carry your load. He'll help you out. He'll never let good people topple into ruin. But you, God, will throw the others into a muddy bog, cut the lifespan of assassins and traitors in half. And I trust in you. And friends, that's the end of Psalm 55. He's really putting some emotion into that. It was nice to listen. I'm glad you had a good time listening. Yeah. What stood out to you in that psalm? David just longing for some peace in the middle of chaos Mm. all around him. Uh, That struck me first, just that his desire to retreat. I want to go for a walk, a cabin in the forest. I'm like, I understand (laughs) that feeling. Yeah, yeah. But the way he described his anguish at being betrayed by someone who was dear to him. Mm -hmm. That kind of betrayal. Yeah. It's one thing if you don't know them or you don't know them well. But when it's somebody that you loved, that's a whole different type of betrayal. Yeah. And, you know, even a king isn't immune from that. And... In fact, probably even more so, it's a difficult life and the realities of it are consuming him. Yeah. But I love how he wraps it up with just such a positive. He brings it to God. He knows he's always there. And I love the way he always finishes positive. So don't think that your prayers have to be all polished. And I mean, David's pouring his heart out here and he's, I mean, just straight up telling God, like, send them to hell. Yeah. You know, cut their life in half. Mm -hmm. I mean. Called to love my enemies, what? (laughs) But God's shoulders are big enough to handle that kind of talk because David's a man after his own heart. He said, pile them on God. Pile them on. You know what I mean? Get it out because when it's in your head and you're just dealing with it, you know, in between your ears, it's in the darkness. It's got all sorts of power. Get it out. Put it on God's shoulders. Allow him to come beside you and help. He will. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to end the day in Numbers. We got three chapters here. Heidi's going to be starting out in Numbers 18. Yes. And then I will finish us out 19 and 20. So I'm excited. What is 18 about here? Duties. Duties. Yes. In the tent of testimony to be exact. So this is, uh, we're going to be getting some... A listing of... A listing of things. Obligations. Well, at least you don't have any names that you got to power through, or is there? Looks pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. All right, uh, Numbers 18. God said to Aaron, you and your sons, along with your father's family, are responsible for taking care of sins having to do with the sanctuary. You and your sons are also responsible for sins involving the priesthood. So enlist your brothers of the tribe of Levi to join you and assist you and your sons in your duties in the tent of testimony. They will report to you as they go about their duties related to the tent, but they must not have anything to do with the holy things of the altar under penalty of death. 
both they and you will die. They are to work with you in taking care of the tent of meeting. Whatever work is involved in the tent, outsiders are not allowed to help you. Your job is to take care of the sanctuary and the altar so that there will be no more outbreaks of anger on the people of Israel. I personally have picked your brothers, the Levites, from Israel as a whole. I'm giving them to you as a gift, a gift of God to help with the work of the tent of meeting. But only you and your sons may serve as priests, working around the altar and inside the curtain. The work of the priesthood is my exclusive gift to you. It cannot be delegated. Anyone else who invades a sanctuary will be executed. God spoke to Aaron. I am personally putting you in charge of my contributions, all the holy gifts I get from the people of Israel. I'm turning them over to you and your children for your personal use. This is a standing rule. You and your sons get what's left from the burnt offerings, whatever hasn't been totally burned up on the altar. The leftovers from grain offerings, absolution offerings, and compensation offerings. Eat it reverently. It is most holy. Every male may eat it, treat it as holy. You also get the wave offering from the people of Israel. I present them to you and your sons and daughters as a gift. This is a standing rule. Anyone in your household who is ritually clean may eat it. I also give you all the best olive oil, the best new wine, and the grain that is offered to God as the first fruits of their harvest. All the first fruits they offer to God are yours. Anyone in your household who is ritually clean may eat it. You get every totally devoted gift. Every firstborn that is offered to God, whether animal or person, is yours. Except you don't get the firstborn itself, but its redemption price. Firstborn humans and ritually unclean animals are bought back and you get the redemption price. When the firstborn is a month old, it must be redeemed at the redemption price of five shekels of silver using the standard of the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. I don't know if that's how you've been pronouncing that. I would say gira, but who knows? It's probably gera or it could be something that's completely different. Okay. But you were close enough. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Power through it. On the other hand, you don't redeem a firstborn ox, sheep, or goat. They are holy. Instead, splash their blood on the altar and burn their fat as a fire gift, a pleasing fragrance to God. But you get the meat just as you get the breast from the wave offering and the right thigh. All the holy offerings that the people of Israel set aside for God, I'm turning over to you and your children. That's the standard rule and it includes both you and your children. A covenant of salt, eternal and unchangeable before God. God said to Aaron, You won't get any inheritance in land, not so much as a small plot of ground. I am your plot of ground. I am your inheritance among the people of Israel. I'm giving the Levites all the tithes of Israel as their pay for the work they do in the tent of meeting. Starting now, the rest of the people of Israel cannot wander in and out of the tent of meeting. They'll be penalized for their sin, and the penalty is death. 
It's the Levites and only the Levites who are to work in the tent of meetings and they are responsible for anything that goes wrong. This is the regular rule for all time. They get no inheritance among the people of Israel. Instead, I turn over to them the tithes that the people of Israel present as an offering to God. That's why I give the ruling. They are to receive no land inheritance among the people of Israel. God spoke to Moses. Speak to the Levites. Tell them, when you get the tithe from the people of Israel, the inheritance that I have assigned you, you must tithe that tithe and present it as an offering to God. Your offerings will be treated the same as other people's gifts of grain from the threshing floor or wine from the wine vat. This is your procedure for making offerings to God from all the tithes you get from the people of Israel. Give God's portion from these tithes to Aaron the priest. Make sure that God's portion is the best and holiest of everything you get. Tell the Levites, when you offer the best part, the rest will be treated the same as grain from the threshing floor or wine from the wine vat that others give. You and your households are free to eat the rest of it any time and any place. It's your wages for your work in the tent of meeting. By offering the best part, you'll avoid guilt. You won't desecrate the holy offerings of the people of Israel, and you won't die. That's very different reading. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you volunteered a little bit there. I appreciate that. So what do you think of those consequences. I mean, it's like, absolutely. I mean, no one can come in this area anymore. Mm -hmm. If they come in, they're paying a penalty. The penalty is death. Right. Like I I noticed that too, because before they had been allowed in, but is that a penalty for all their complaining? People complaining that they weren't important and I'm important. And this is in all of that had just taken place. God's like, let's get some things straight here. It's my house. I decide what goes on in my house. Mm -hmm. These two are the only tribes allowed in. And because humans are humans and they get all upset about things and the unfairness of that, God takes away their land. They are not allowed to own property. That's just part of Mm -hmm. what their calling is. So now they're able to be fully devoted to their work without having to tend to crops and fields and to raise them because they will always have their sustenance. So they were provided that way. But then the rest of Israel can't say, well, that's not fair. Well, I kind of gave you some pretty good stuff. I've given you huge swaths of land and you own that and it's yours. They don't own anything. So that takes away the ability. God was their inheritance. I love how he said that. that. Yeah, He was like, I am your inheritance. I am your plot of land. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. So now I've heard of brown ones. I've seen black and white ones, but I have never, ever seen a red cow. And that, friends, is the title to this next chapter, The Red Cow. God spoke to Moses and Aaron. This is the rule from the revelation that God commands. Tell the people of Israel to get a red cow, a healthy specimen, ritually clean, that has never been in harness. 
present it to Eleazar the priest, and then take it outside the camp and butcher it while he looks on. Eleazar will take some of the blood on his finger and splash it seven times in the direction of the tent of meeting. Then, under Eleazar's supervision, burn the cow, the whole thing, hide, meat, blood, even its dung. The priest, then, will take the stick of cedar, some sprigs of hyssop, and a piece of scarlet material and throw them on the burning cow. Afterwards, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe well with water. He can then come into the camp, but he remains ritually unclean until evening. The man who burns the cow must also wash his clothes and bathe with water. He also is unclean until evening. Then a man who is ritually clean will gather the ashes of the cow and place them in a ritually clean place outside the camp. The congregation of Israel will keep them to use in the water of cleansing, an absolution offering. The man who gathered up the ashes must scrub his clothes. He is ritually unclean until evening. This is to be a standing rule for both native-born Israelites and foreigners living among them. Anyone who touches a dead body is ritually unclean for seven days. He must purify himself with the water of cleansing on the third day. On the seventh day, he will be clean. But if he doesn't follow the procedures for the third and seventh days, he won't be clean. Anyone who touches the dead body of anyone and doesn't get cleansed desecrates God's dwelling and is to be excommunicated. For as long as the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him, he remains ritually unclean. This is the rule for someone who dies in his tent. Anyone who enters the tent or is already in the tent is ritually unclean for seven days. And every open container without a lid is unclean. Anyone out in the open field who touches a corpse, whether dead from violent or natural causes, or a human bone or a grave is unclean for seven days. For this unclean person, take some of the ashes from the burned absolution offering and add some fresh water to it in a bowl. Find a ritually clean man to dip a sprig of hyssop into the water and then sprinkle the tent and all of its furnishings. The persons who were in the tent, the one who touched the bones of the person who was killed or died a natural death, and whoever may have touched a grave. Then he is to sprinkle the unclean person on the third and seventh days. On the seventh day, he is considered cleansed. The cleansed person must then scrub his clothes and take a bath. By evening, he is clean. But if an unclean person does not go through these cleansing procedures, he must be excommunicated from the community. He has desecrated the sanctuary of God. The water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him, and he is ritually unclean. This is the standing rule for these cases. The man who sprinkles the water of cleansing has to scrub his clothes. Anyone else who has touched the water of cleansing is also ritually unclean until evening. Anything the ritually unclean man touches becomes unclean, and the person who touches what he touched is unclean until evening. And that's the end of chapter 19. 
that's a lot to keep track of. That is a lot to keep track of. And I I thought, man, I mean, somebody had to take care of. I mean, we're in a, a large community of people. People die. You know, that's it's just a, you know, people get old, people have accidents, whatever it is, but people die. And so, yeah, I guess they had to have some of these things because remember, they don't have disinfectants. They don't right. have soap and water, you know, just like we do. So there were things I think God through this is really trying to protect them. Oh, yes. You know, yes. It's just, it's remarkable down to, oh, that container wasn't covered. Yeah. It's gone, done. And from a medical sense, why would that have been back in the day? So, well, bacteria or whatever can, you know, if you contaminated the place and then if you contaminate a food source, you know, again, I would imagine that it's for protection reason, but it's just like, then it's like, well, Honey, you came home from work in the field today and you're unclean and you have touched everything in the house, including all our children. Really? <laughs> I'm like, you know, so yeah. now you're all going for the cleansing. Right. Along with everything in your home. Do you think anybody ever hit it? Was like, oh man, I touched this dead dude, but like I just, oh. I, I want to say yes, because people are people, people, but I'm so concerned that by saying this that's going to mean that all of a sudden people were just struck dead because they didn't that see and that's kind of what i thought is that that <laughs> community god was like really involved in that community and right and you know jesus hadn't come and yeah. this was this was necessary but people are people that is true yeah. we'll go with <laughs> what has happened now is has always happened right that's that's what we just read. Yes. And you did a really Nothing good job under with the, the red cow. Thanks. I, I have never seen a red cow, but I mean, I'm open to it. So I'm sure you are. All right. Here we go. Numbers chapter 20. Camp Kadesh. In the first month, the entire company of the people of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin. The people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and she was buried. There was no water there for the community, so they ganged up on Moses and Aaron. They attacked Moses. We wished we died when the rest of our brothers died before God. Why did you haul this congregation of God out here in the wilderness to die, people and our cattle alike? And why did you take us out of Egypt in the first place, dragging us into this miserable country? No grain, no figs, no grapevines, no pomegranates, and now not even any water. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope I mildly depicted maybe how, oh, Moses, how they, how I'm they sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, Moses. Moses. Moses and Aaron walked from the assembled congregation to the tent of meeting and threw themselves face down on the ground, and they saw the glory of God. God spoke to Moses, take the staff, assemble the community, you and your brother Aaron. Speak to that rock that's right in front of them, and it will give water. You will bring water out of the rock for them, congregation and cattle will both drink. Moses took the staff away from God's presence as commanded. He and Aaron rounded up the whole congregation in front of the rock. Moses spoke, Listen, rebels, 
Do we have to bring water out of this rock for you? And with that, Moses raised his arm and slammed his staff against the rock once, twice. Water poured out. Congregation and cattle drank. God said to Moses and Aaron, Because you didn't trust me, didn't treat me with holy reverence in front of the people of Israel, you two aren't going to lead this company into the land that I am giving them. These were the waters of Meribah, bickering, where the people of Israel bickered with God, and he revealed himself as holy. Moses sent emissaries from Kadesh to the king of Edom with this message, a message from your brother Israel. You are familiar with all of the trouble that we've run into. Our ancestors went down to Egypt and lived there a long time. The Egyptians viciously abused both us and our ancestors. But when we cried out for help to God, he heard our cry. He sent an angel and got us out of Egypt. And now here we are at Kadesh, a town at the border of your land. Will you give us permission to cut across your land? We won't trespass through your fields or orchards, and we won't drink out of your wells. We'll keep to the main road, the king's road, straying neither right nor left until we've crossed your border. The king of Edom answered, Not on your life! If you so much as set foot on my land, I'll kill you. The people of Israel said, Look, we'll stay on the main road. If we or our animals drink any water, we'll pay you for it. We're harmless. We're just a company of footsore travelers. He answered again, No, you may not come through. And Edom came out and blocked the way with a crowd of people brandishing weapons. Edom refused to let them cross through his land. So Israel had to detour around him. I bet you that was all in God's plan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The people of Israel, the entire company, set out from Kadesh and traveled to Mount Hor. God said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor at the border of Edom, it's time for Aaron to be gathered into the company of his ancestors. He will not enter the land I am giving to the people of Israel because you both rebelled against my orders at the waters of Meribah. So take Aaron and his son Eliezer and lead them up to Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's clothes from him and put them on his son Eliezer. Aaron will be gathered there. Aaron will die. Moses obeyed God's command. They climbed Mount Hor as the whole congregation watched. Moses took off Aaron's clothes and put them on his son Eliezer. Aaron died on top of the mountain, and then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. The whole congregation, getting the news that Aaron had died, went into 30 days of mourning for him. And that, my friends, is the end of our reading today. I can only imagine how much Aaron meant to some of these people because he was the one that was in charge of all of these offerings. He was, in so many senses, I think, to some people, probably like God's mouthpiece. Yeah. Like 
So how they revered this man, I can only imagine that it was a heartbreaking thing for a lot of people to... been there from the time they left until now. He'd always been a constant. He'd always held that position, had always been that high priest. It's like that beloved pastor, minister, priest, whoever you attend, whatever Mm -hmm. you call, you know, your leader. He just, yeah, he was such a part of it in the penalty to pay Mm -hmm. because you just couldn't follow a simple thing. And it just makes me realize that these amazing, great heroes and people we talk about in the Bible were just like we are. Sure. And uh, God loved them. There still were prices to pay, but they were loved. And I love that God did show Moses the promised land eventually. It's funny how I just reflected on all of our passages that we had today, and all of them involve kind of a measure of crying out mm-hmm. of just releasing what's in your soul. Mm. I just, yeah, I'm almost overwhelmed at what Moses and Aaron must have felt in the moment when God was telling them they were still allowed to go into the land they hadn't taken part of. Aaron had. Moses had not. Right. Moses, hearing God's word telling him that decision you made right there, that cost you entry into the land mm. that we're out here for. I can't imagine what that would feel like. But he immediately after that. Moses. Yeah, he obeyed. He knew, you know what I mean? He he knew. Yeah. And, and not he only continued. that, God took his right hand man. Yeah. He had lost his sister just prior and she was a leader. Yeah. Aaron was Moses' right hand man. Yep. And that's a lot for Moses. He lost his siblings. That was his mouthpiece. And he lost his entry. Yes. You know, that was the original. Yes. You know, I'm not good at talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, guess what? Yeah, guess what? I got somebody <laughs> for that, homeboy. Right, right. <laughs> so, well, good, friends. We've come to the end of our journey today, so that's right. Put the car in park, undo that seatbelt, and get ready to go in and just do the rest of life here, right? So need to like recover from this. <laughs> there was a lot of emotion. There was in there these was. passages today. And I'm just realizing that the gamut of emotion, but it, there was a lot of it. So, our, a question for our listeners: What emotions did stood out to you out of all of these passages? Were there any emotions that surprised you? Was there anything that was said mm. in any of those that surprised you? That seemed like, wow, I didn't think they talked like that in the Bible, or wow, you know, that was pretty harsh. I mean, David saying, "Cut their life in half, send them to hell." You know, I mean, that's as raw as it gets. Oh, yeah. God wants uh, us just like that. Yeah. He already knows you're thinking it anyways. Take it all to him. So what is your soul's cry? Right? Think about that. What is your soul's cry? When you talk to God or whatever you want to call that, whether it's prayer, talking to God, just connecting, whatever, What is your soul's cry? 
something good to think on this week. So I want everybody to have a great week. If you would like, one of the little side things that I've been working on is a website for Chaplain Heidi. (gasps) And so if you have a few minutes, I would love to have your input on how her website looks. The website is www.wellfed.com. Love. It's not a .com. It's not a .net. It's .love. And when we saw that that was available, it was a no-brainer. No-brainer. So, again, it's wellfed.love. So, W-E-L-L-F-E-D dot love. Check it out. Let me know what you think. We would love to have your input and your support. Uh, Or any questions about what this is all about or where it came from. If you're not familiar with the well-fed story, feel free to ask. I'd be happy to tell you all about it. Absolutely. So friends, thanks again for joining along today. It's the end of our journey. I hope you have a great day and a great week wherever you are. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.